Section 9 of The Emperor of Portugalia by Selma Lagerlöf. Translated by Velma Swanston Howard. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Reading by Lars Rolander. Section 9. The New Master. When the Rufflock family came home from church the Sunday the dean had spoken so beautifully to Glory Goldie, they found two men perched on their fence close to the gate. One of the men was Lars Gunnarsson, who had become master of Falla after Erik's death. The other was a clerk from the store down at Broby, where Katrina bought her coffee and sugar. They looked so indifferent and unconcerned sitting there that Jan could hardly think they wanted to see him, so he simply raised his cap as he went past them into the house without speaking. The men remained where they were. Jan wished they would go sit where he could not see them. He knew that Lars had harbored a grudge against him since that ill-fated day in the forest, and had hinted more than once that Jan was getting old and would not be worth his day's wage much longer. Katrina brought on the midday meal, which was hurriedly eaten. Lars Gunnarsson and the clerk still sat on the fence, laughing and chatting. They reminded Jan of a pair of hawks, bidding their time to swoop down upon helpless prey. Finally the men got down off the fence, opened the gate, and went toward the house. Then, after all, they had come to see him. Jan had a strong presentment that they wished him ill. He glanced anxiously about as if to find some corner where he might hide. Then his eyes fell on Glory Goldie, who also sat looking out through the window, and instantly his courage came back. Why should he be afraid when he had a daughter like her, he thought. Glory Goldie was wise and resourceful, and afraid of nothing. Luck was always on her side, so that Lars Gunnarsson would find it far from easy to get the best of her. When the two men came in, they seemed as unconcerned as before, yet Lars said that after sitting so long on the fence, looking at the pretty little house, they had finally taken a notion to step inside. They lavished praises upon everything in the house, and Lars remarked that Jan and Katrina had reason to feel very thankful to Erik of Falla, for, of course, it was he who had made it possible for them to build a home and to marry. "'That reminds me,' he said quickly, looking away from Jan and Katrina. "'I suppose Erik of Falla had the foresight to give you a deed to the land on which the hut stands?' Neither Jan nor Katrina said a word. Instantly they knew that Lars had now come to the matter he wanted to discuss with them. "'I understand there are no papers in existence,' continued Lars. "'But I can't believe it is so bad as all that, for in that event the house would fall to the owner of the land.' Still Jan said nothing, but Katrina was too indignant to keep silent any longer. Erik of Falla gave us the lot on which this house stands, she said, and no one has the right to take it away from us. And uh, no one has any intention of doing so, said the new owner in a pacifying tone. He only wanted to have everything regular, that was all. If Jan could let him have a hundred rix dollars by October, fair time. A hundred rix dollars! 
Katrina broke in her voice, rising almost to a shriek. Lars drew his head back and tightened his lips. "'And you, Jan, you don't say a word,' said Katrina reproachfully. "'Don't you hear that Lars wants to squeeze from us one hundred rix-dollars?' "'It won't be so easy, perhaps, for Jan to come up with one hundred rix-dollars,' returned Lars Gunnarsson. "'But just the same, I've got to know what's mine.' "'And so you're going to steal our hut?' "'Nothing of the kind,' said Lars. "'The hut is yours. It's the land I'm after.' "'Then we can move the hut off of your land,' said Katrina. "'It would hardly be worth your while to go to the bother of moving something you'll not be able to keep.' "'Well, I never!' gasped Katrina. "'Then you really do mean to lay hands on our property.' Lars Gunnarsson made a gesture of protest. No, of course, he did not want to put a lien on the house, not he. Had he not already told them as much, but it so happened that the storekeeper at Broby had sent his clerk with some accounts that had not been settled. The clerk now produced the bills and laid them on the table. Katrina pushed them over to Glory Goldie and told her to figure up the total amount due. It was no less than one hundred rix-dollars that they owed. Katrina went white as a sheep. "'I see that you mean to turn us out of house and home,' she said faintly. "'Oh, no,' answered Lars. "'Not if you pay what you owe.' "'You ought to think of your own parents, Lars,' Katrina reminded him. "'They, too, had their struggles before you became the son-in-law of a rich farmer.' Katrina had to do all the talking, as Jan would not say anything. He only sat and looked at Glory Goldie, looked and waited. To his mind this affair was just something that had been planned for her special benefit, that she might prove her worth. "'When you take the hut away from the poor man, he's done for,' wailed Katrina. "'I don't want to take the hut,' said Lars Gunnarsson, on a defensive. All I want is a settlement. But Katrina was not listening. As long as the poor man has his home, he's as good as anybody else. But the homeless man knows he's nobody. Jan felt that Katrina was right. The hut was built of old lumber and stood aslant on a poor foundation. Small and cramped it certainly was. But just the same, it seemed as if all would be over for them if they lost it. Jan, for his part, could not think for a second it would be as bad as that. Was not his glory Goldie there? And could he not see how her eyes were beginning to flash fire? In a little while she would say something or do something that would drive these tormentors away. "'Of course you've got to have time to think it over,' said the new owner. "'But bear in mind that either you move on the first of October,' or you pay the storekeeper at Broby the one hundred rix-dollars you owe him on or before that date. Besides, I must have another hundred for the land. Old Katrina sat wringing her toil-gnarled hands. She was so wrought up that she talked to herself, not caring who heard her. How can I go to church, and how can I be seen among people, when I'm so poor I haven't even a hut to live in? Jan was thinking of something else. He called to mind all the beautiful memories associated with the hut. 
It was here, near the table, the midwife had laid the child in his arms. It was over there, in the doorway, he had stood when the sun peeped out through the clouds to name the little girl. The hut was one with himself, with Katrina, with Glory Goldie. It could never be lost to them. He saw Glory Goldie clench her fist, and felt that she would come to their aid very soon. Presently Lars Gunnarsson and the shopkeeper's clerk got up and moved toward the door. When they left they said good-bye, but not one of the three who remained in the hut rose or returned the salutation. The moment the men were gone, the young girl, with a proud toss of her head, sprang to her feet. "'If you would only let me go out in the world,' she said. Katrina suddenly ceased mumbling and wringing her hands. Glory Goldie's words had awakened in her a faint hope. "'It shouldn't be so very difficult to earn a couple of hundred rix-dollars between now and the first of October,' said the girl. "'This is only midsummer, so it's three whole months till then. If you will let me go to Stockholm and take service there, I promise you the house shall remain in your keeping.' When Jan of Rufflock heard these words, he grew ashen. His head sank back as if he were about to swoon. How dear of the little girl, he thought. It was for this he had waited the whole time. Yet how? How could he ever bear to let her go away from him? ON THE MOUNTAIN TOP Jan of Rufflock walked along the forest road where he and his women-folk happy and content, had passed on the way home from church a few hours earlier. He and Katrina, after long deliberation, had decided that before sending their daughter away or doing anything else in this matter, that Jan had better see Senator Carl Carlson of Storvik and ask him whether Lars Gunnarsson had the right to take the hut from them. There was no one in the whole of Svartsjö parish who was so well versed in the law and the statutes as was the senator from Storvik, and those who had the good sense to seek his advice in matters of purchase and sale, in making appraisals, or setting up an auction, or drawing up a will, could rest assured that everything would be done in a correct and legal manner, and that afterward there was no fear of their becoming involved in lawsuits or other entanglements. The senator was a stern and masterful man, brusque of manner and harsh of voice, and Jan was none too pleased at the thought of having to talk with him. The first thing he'll do when I come to him will be to read me a lecture because I've got no papers, thought Jan. He has scared some folks so badly at the very start that they never dared tell him what they had come to consult him about. Jan left home in such haste that he had no time to think about the dreadful man he was going to see. But while passing through the groves of the Ashdales toward the big forest, the old dread came over him. "'It was mighty stupid in me not to have taken Glory Goldie along,' he said to himself. When leaving home he had not seen the girl about, so he concluded that she had betaken herself to some lonely spot in the woods to weep away her grief as she never wanted to be seen by any one when she felt downhearted. Just as Jan was about to turn from the road into the forest, 
he heard someone jodeling and singing up on the mountain to right of him he stopped and listened it was a woman's voice surely it could not be the one it sounded like in any case he must know for a certainty before going farther he could hear the song clearly and distinctly but the singer was hidden by the trees presently he turned from the road and pushed his way through some tangled brush in the hope of catching a glimpse of her but she was not as near as he had imagined nor was she standing still on the contrary she seemed to be moving farther away farther away and higher up at times the singing seemed to come from directly above him the singer must be going up to the peak he thought she had evidently taken a winding path leading up the mountain where it was almost perpendicular here there was a thick growth of young birches so of course he could not see her she seemed to be mounting higher and higher with the swiftness of a bird on the wing singing all the while then jan started to climb straight up the mountain but in his eagerness he strayed from the path and had to make his way through the bewildering woods no wonder he was left far behind besides he had begun to feel as if he had a heavy weight on his chest he could hardly get his breath as he tramped uphill straining his ears to catch the song finally he went so slowly that he seemed not to be moving at all it was not easy to distinguish voices out in the woods where there was so much that rustled and murmured and chimed in as it were but jan felt that he must get to where he could see the one who for very joy went flying up the steep otherwise he would harbor doubts and misgivings the rest of his life he knew that once he was on the mountain top where it was barren of trees the singer could not elude him the view from the summit was glorious from there could be seen the whole of long lake leuven the green vales encircling the lake and all the blue hills that shelter the valley when folks from the shutting ashdales climbed to the towering peak they must have thought of the mountain whither the tempter had once taken our lord that he might show him all the kingdoms of the world and their glories when jan had at last left the dense woods behind him and had come to a cleared place he saw the singer at the top of the highest peak was a cairn and on the topmost stone of this cairn silhouetted against the pale evening sky stood glory goldie sunny castle in her scarlet dress if the folk in the dales and woodlands below had turned their eyes toward the peak just then they would have seen her standing there in her shining raiment glory goldie looked out over miles and miles of country she saw steep hills crowned with white churches on the shores of the lake manors and foundries surrounded by parks and gardens rows of farmhouses along the skirt of the woods stretches of field and meadowland winding roads and endless tracts of forest at first she sang but presently she hushed her singing and thought only of gazing out over the wide open world before her suddenly she flung out her arms as if wanting to take it all into her embrace 
all this wealth and power and bigness from which she had been shut out until that day jan did not return until far into the night and when he reached home he could give no coherent account of his movements he declared he had seen and talked with the senator but what the senator had advised him to do he could not remember it is no good trying to do anything he said again and again that was all the satisfaction katrina got jan walked all bent over and looked ill earth and moss clung to his coat and katrina asked him if he had fallen and hurt himself no he told her but he may have lain on the ground a while then he must be ill thought katrina it was not that either it was just that something had stopped the instant it dawned on him that his little girl had offered to save the home for her parents not out of love for them but because she longed to get away and go out into the world but this he would not speak of end of section 9 read by lars rolander